The Work in Sports podcast is brought to you by Empowered. This is the most important election of our time. And let's be honest, voting during a pandemic is a little confusing right now. There is so much misinformation out there aimed toward making you believe your vote doesn't matter. Well, guess what? Your vote does matter. Voting is the most important responsibility of citizens. Do not give up that power or that right. Get engaged, informed, and ready to vote, all with one app called Empowered, E-M-P-O-W-R-D. You know who is engaged, informed, and ready to vote with Empowered? Trey Flowers of Detroit Lions, Whitney Merciless and Justin Reed of the Houston Texans, Afrani Simmons of the Portland Trailblazers. All of these top athletes are out there supporting this great app that will make it easier for you to get all the information you need to vote. Download the app today at empowered.com. Again, that's E-M-P-O-W-R-D.com. And the Work in Sports podcast moving forward is brought to you by High Point Gamer. High Point Gamer is Central Florida's premier esports consultant for forward thinking gamers, brands, and organizations. They help you add gaming to your marketing strategy. Their custom gaming centric activations are tailored to support your business goals. Visit highpointgamer.com for more information. Welcome to part two of our four-part Moving Forward mini-series, analyzing social justice through the eyes of 10 young, diverse, aspiring sports professionals. I'm your host, Brian Clapp from WorkinSports.com. The sports industry has long been our nation's main source of entertainment. Look no further than the most popular TV series of 2019 and 2020. Number one, Sunday Night Football. Number two, Thursday Night Football. Number three, Monday Night Football. Number four, The Masked Singer. Number five, The Last Dance. Four times, sports appear in the top five, ahead of The Bachelor, Survivor, American Idol, Grey's Anatomy, This Is Us, and a bevy of other highly discussed shows. If you look at the most popular individual TV shows, 19 out of the 25 most watched shows in 2019 were sports. And it's not just football. It's the World Series, the NBA Finals, the College Football Championship, the NCAA Men's Basketball Championships. Sports dominates. With that in mind, you would hope and imagine that the industry itself would be representative of the stars in the games that have become so popular. It is not. For example, more than 45% of college football players are black, but black men only represent 9% of athletic directors and 8% of head coaches. We can play these numbers out down the line in all facets of the sports industry. Women's sports, men's sports, college, pro, media companies, leagues. The disparity is real and tangible. Progress only comes when the majority aims to help, support, and advocate for the minority. If the majority persists as if the norm they are living in is what they want to see continue, well, things will never change then. But if a large enough group of allies from the majority are mobilized and activated for change, they can hold the power and the key to stimulate positive change. As award-winning diversity, equity, and inclusion leader Sherry Atchison wrote in Forbes, allyship is a lifelong process of building relationships based on trust, 
consistency and accountability with marginalized individuals and or groups of people. It's an opportunity to grow and learn about ourselves while building confidence in others. This is an important step for all listeners, everyone listening to this program, to understand what minority groups, whether it be women, LGBTQ, or people of color need and how they need it. To be an ally requires an ability to listen, support, self-reflect, and change, something all of us can and should do. This is part three of our four-part series titled Moving Forward. In this episode, we will be diving into allyship and the steps we can all take to create an inclusive environment in sports. To help in this discussion, I'm joined by Destiny Jones and Alex Rodriguez. Hey guys, how are you? Doing great. How are you? How are you doing? Great. Destiny, let's start out with you. Give us a little bit of your background. Let us know a little bit about your story. So my name is Destiny Jones. I'm from Southern California. I recently graduated from The Ohio State University. Um, while I was there, I was an intern for the Columbus Blue Jackets, and I am planning on pursuing a career in sports philanthropy. That's great. Alex, what about you? The Ohio State University. I love how you got that in, by the way. Alex, give us your story a little bit. Yeah, my name is uh, Alex Rodriguez, just like the baseball player. Born and raised in Houston, Texas, second generation immigrant. My parents are from Mexico. I went to college at Mississippi College, uh, where I was the first Hispanic student body vice president. And now I'm currently uh, an account executive with the El Paso Chihuahuas, specifically in group sales. That's fantastic. So, Destiny, let's start with you. Uh, Something I repeat often when I'm talking to young professionals is to identify the problem and then focus on fixing that problem. You know, don't get don't get into blame. Don't get distracted. Isolate the problem you're facing and fix it. But that sounds great when you're talking about work issues, you know, like a certain work task. That's simple. That's a simple process. But the problems we're facing with social justice and equity are far bigger and not really for one person to fix on their own. In your view, what role do we all play in fixing the issues of social justice and equality before us? I think one of the biggest things starting out is realizing that, like, it is a long, enduring process. So expecting to see change is really quickly is just going to get you frustrated. Um, But I also think that people see issues like this and know that it's big and feel like they have to do big action in order to help challenge that. But um, I think that activism in these kind of roles can start on a much smaller scale. Like it starts with being aware of the kind of language you're using and the language that people around you are using and saying like, hey, maybe we're not going to say that now or let's not make those kinds of jokes anymore. Um, And also being intentional and being um, inclusive. So diversity is one thing, but inclusive means like not just bringing the people to the table, but making sure you're actually listening when they have something to say um, and making sure that you're letting everyone feel like they have a place um, in your circle. Um, Another thing too is like there are the bigger actions when it comes to social justice and equity and participating in things like signing petitions and going to protests and writing your representatives and things like that also absolutely have their place. But I think people like to skip over the smaller part of starting, starting at home with the people around them. Yeah, it's really vital. Alex, what do you think? I I totally agree with everything Destiny's saying. And I think uh, another part, I think it's like two things that I, I started to work on myself and try to be like, you know, an ally um, was first education. Because there, you can't really come up with the solution if you don't really know what the problem is. And so trying to learn more about what the problem is itself is like a key opponent to figure out how did we get here and how do we move forward. Um, the second thing is your circle. I think that I, I've tried to work on a lot and it's like look and see what my circle looks like. Because 
I think one of the issues that a lot of people talk about with social media is that it's an echo chamber. But I think that's always been an issue since, you know, the beginning of time is like, if you look around you, if it's the same people and the same perspectives, you can't really learn from it. So you got to look and see what your circle looks like. Try to get a different perspective in order so you can learn more and expand your mind and understand maybe since I don't feel that way, it's because it's all, it's all I know. And so you need to learn more about other people's life and other people's, you know, their walk and how how some of us have a different life of walk than others, you know? It, it's such an important part of the conversation. I want to hit on the education part you just brought up. I grew up in Massachusetts. I went to good schools. I went to a good college. And I will be just completely honest and transparent right here. I had never heard of Juneteenth until this year. And that is so sad. And that is a, a failure of our education system. It's a failure of the conversations that we're having. And I'm a pretty eyes wide open guy. And yet, this was these were certain events and, and conversations I didn't even really know about. And that's part of this is getting exposed and, and educating yourself and trying to learn more about other people's experience. And I love your point there too, Alex, on who you're around and your the different perspectives that you are associated with. Um, so Alex, we'll, we'll go back to you. As you've watched these kind of horrific issues, um, they've really been right in front of us and social media does a lot of that. We're able to see so much and know so much more than we used to. You've also seen a lot of forms of responses, right? There's been peaceful protests, there's been speeches, there's social videos, there's fundraising efforts, there's corporate statements. What resonates with you on, on a personal level? When you see action, what stands out to you? I think what really stood out, and I'm not sure if I'm really answering the question right here, is I the response from like the field program, you know, like I've known these people since last June, but they really do feel like family to me. And being able to come together and make a statement like that, because at that point, I really felt like I couldn't do anything. And we were coming together and, and voicing you know, like our complaints. And, and so we decided as a group, let's say something together. Because even though we're young and we don't have a lot of experience, we do have a unity in voices. And I believe with that unity, it gave me a platform to feel like I actually have the tools to make a difference. And that it might be just like a little like, chip like I'm, I'm taking off of this but it, it there needs to be a start somewhere and that's what really resonated with me and it kind of gave me like that help and that like reassurance that i do have that platform and the support system in order to succeed and and fight this fight destiny is that important in your view too is having that sense of unity and community that can kind of band together in a way to speak up and speak out yeah definitely like having a group of people that i knew i mean being a mixed race person and specifically being half black um, seeing this stuff can kind of hit on a personal level sometimes and knowing that there were people who didn't necessarily look like me, who didn't necessarily have my background, but who still stood with me and recognize that these were also issues and was something that they were passionate about too. It, it helped me feel a lot less alone. Um, and it also helped me feel like I'm not one of the only people trying to move forward in this kind of space either. There are people who I can work with and, uh, be around and help feel like something is happening. Yeah. Alex, you want to add to that? Yeah. Cause like, um, just to like add up on to w what happened that timeline, like give some context. I was stuck in my apartment in El Paso. 
I had no one to talk to about this. And so I think like with this year and like this, like re like resurgent of black lives matter movement, like it was tough for a lot of people mentally. And like, I'm not even black. So like, I can't even tell you, like, it was hard for me. It was mentally draining, but imagine being like someone that like moved to another city, a black person stuck in their apartment. Like this is what helped me. It was like having this group to know that I could reach out when I felt this way. It helped so much. The Work in Sports podcast moving forward is brought to you by fellow podcaster, author, and athlete career transition coach, Taj Deshawn. And guess who's with me now? Taj, what's happening? Hey, Brian. So tell us a little bit about your role as an athlete career transition coach. Well, I help former athletes get through that emotional roller coaster of adapting to life after the game. And I really help them figure out what they want to do with the rest of their lives. Not just for a paycheck, but really carving out a new lane for themselves, finding something they can wake up every day and be excited about pursuing the same way they did with their sport, even if that means starting a business, and also connecting with other former athletes who are up to big things in their careers and in their businesses so they can act as guides and mentors to these former athletes too. So you played college football and know firsthand what it's like to transition into a new world after sports. Does that firsthand experience really help you connect with your clients? Absolutely, Brian. You know, there's no substitute for getting support and guidance from someone who's actually been in your shoes and knows how to help break through so you can start living powerfully again. You know, I had a lot of people help me find my way over the years, and I really look at myself as a light at the end of the tunnel, not just for retired athletes, but for people in general who feel lost and uncertain about their next steps in life. Oh, that's so great. You're providing such an important resource to athletes and people as they transition into the next phase of their life. What's the best way for anyone interested who's listening right now to learn more about your programs and what you offer? Yeah, thanks, Brian. You can connect with me at TajDashaun.com. That's T-A-J-D-A-S-H-A-U-N.com. All the links to my social media are on the website. And I'm Taj Deshaun across all social media platforms. I'm extremely active on LinkedIn. As you know, Brian, I'm constantly posting and engaging in the work and sports group. That's right. You know? Yep. That's right. I'm always on there. You see me at least a couple of times a week. Uh-huh. I see you all the time. Yes, sir. And you can also check out my podcast, Thrive After Sports, which is available on all platforms. And my new book, Thrive After Sports, is available for pre-order at thriveaftersportsbook.com. I'm jealous, man. A published author. I got to get on that. You're, you're catching up, but you're going ahead of me. Hey, I'm happy to help you get your book published anytime you're ready, Brian. There we go. We'll need to work together on that. Thanks, Taj, for coming on and telling us a little bit more about your business. Thank you, Brian. I was speaking last week with Shino Wheel from Minorities in Sports, the website, minoritiesinsports.com. Great site, great thing. And one of the things she talked about was having a group chat. And I just thought that that was like the most grassroots effort. But it goes right to your points of like being able to talk to somebody and have this conversation and let some of that anguish come out. Um, that sense of community can surely help. So, Destiny, I, I, I find myself on a personal level increasingly frustrated by corporate statements, right? You see a lot of these companies coming out and saying things like, we stand against racism. And it's like, yeah, I hope so. You know, it's like, <laughs> I mean, really, it's not bad. It's not a bad thing for them to do it. I'm glad they're doing something, but like, it feels like we need more action. What would you like to see as action points from some of these massive corporations that have, and teams and leagues that have massive influence across all industry, across all economies, like this, this they can make change what would you like to see happen yeah i definitely feel that sense of frustration sometimes it's like they put out some fluffy corporate statement that doesn't mean anything but these companies are usually in 
really large metropolitan areas that are super diverse and they have different pools that they can be pulling from in terms of talent. Like they have universities that they can be pulling from. They have um, all sorts of different like clubs and things like that. Like there's definitely areas where they can say, oh, we can go here to find young professionals to diversify like the people who are within our organization. Um, And I think that companies are slowly realizing that there's more resources for them to do things like that. But it's a matter of actually taking the time to go into those spaces and make those connections. Um, and I feel like a lot of the time the emphasis of the work is put on the people who are trying to get into the spot instead of the company trying to find them. Um, and it's definitely easy to just say, hey, we're going to sign up for our local university's like, job fair. And you're going to find plenty of students there who are perfectly qualified to go into that space. But I think it also comes back to who's involved in the hiring process. Um, people are just naturally going to like be with people who are like them. And that's natural. But in order to sort of combat that in hiring, I think having a diverse hiring team is important. If you have people who are of a diverse background that are involved in those decisions, you're going to have a diverse outcome. I feel like it's a pretty easy, like, two plus two equals four. But um, it's a, it is a matter of taking the time and the effort and being intentional about it. And I think it's a lot easier and a lot less expensive and a lot less time consuming to put together a corporate statement and maybe throw some money at something than to actually reflect those values back within your organization. And that's where pe- uh, organizations and people um, need to start maybe putting in a little bit more work. Yeah, for sure. Alex, what do you think about that? I think um, one thing is that a lot of companies are trying to look at the big picture of their own company and like reflect like how diverse their staff is, which is good. But they, I think a lot of companies need to also look at the small pictures of each departments and look at see at the, the different levels at how diverse are they? Because they could have like the most diverse entry level um, like corporation ever, but that is not going to do any good. And you won't, those people that are at those levels won't have the same powers as the top executives to make those decisions. Cause it's, it's like, we're, we're starting to see like this like wave of like the change coming, but it could be sped up a little bit. You know, we need to see more, you know, uh, people of color that are CEOs or in high level positions. And I think another thing too is, um, and I like I go back to my time as a student body president, which you know isn't like the the most like powerful experience, like being a CEO of like a company. But like one thing I learned was like you need to have that communication, like you need to have that transparency. You know, we were doing small things, you know, like trying to change how our parking passes work. But you need to talk to everyone, you know, like you can't just have this like discussion with the student representatives. But also, you know, like we one, one issue that we had at Mississippi College that I was trying to change was like our student athletes weren't represented enough. So I would I would try my best to make those friends and those connections to have that communication and be like, hey, like this is what we're working on. Does you think this is a fair representation of yourself? Like, is this to help you out? Like, are we going to leave you in the dark? And I think there, that a lot of corporations have this 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 power to do that. It's just to start these connections with different uh, community leaders in order to communicate what that community needs best in order to make a difference there. Because you can throw all the money you want, but you have to be able to, to, to make a foundation on it. You know, you can't build it on sand. You have to build it on concrete in order to, you know, see a difference. We talked a lot in the last episode about how meaningful it was for when, when the Washington football team hired Jason Wright as team president. 
you know, and, and both Gerald and Jalen said to be able to see somebody in that kind of a role gives you something to aspire to and say, this can happen for me. And you're right to put people in these decision-making roles that are representative is where we need to get. You need to look at the business in a holistic sense rather than just, you know, the, the, the dividing out the numbers and saying, oh yeah, we have, you know, plenty of diversity. It's like, no, they need to be in all levels of the organization. I think that's a really strong point, Alex. So Alex, you've worked in the NFL and in major minor league baseball so far in your career. When you look around your workplaces and you evaluate your, you know, day-to-day experience, do you feel like the sports industry is inclusive? And as a young person starting out, is there an extra burden on you to make it feel inclusive? I would say the efforts are there, but it's not enough efforts, if that makes sense. You know, I think there is like a change coming. And I think after this year, they're going to make it a bigger effort. But I think one of the things that's limited a lot of, um, uh, teams to be diverse is is pay to just be straight and transparent. You know, I was very fortunate to you know have uh, the Houston Texans in my hometown, able to live rent free and grocery free with my parents. But I was making minimum wage, and and if I was in any other place, if I had to move to get that position, I don't know if I could afford it. Because I I mean, my parents may have been able to help me, but there's no guarantee of that. And there's no guarantee of every other person, especially a first generation college student, to be able to ask their parents or any family to support them in trying to pursue their career. And I think that's like another issue is like um, a lot of these organizations and sports, they love to hire within. So if 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 people of color have to go outside of sports to like get that experience, they're going to have to give up that pay or they're not going to be like invited in order to get that position. It's kind of like, you know, like a catch 22. Yeah. You know what? I'll take it on a quick rant here that goes even earlier than that. I have a problem with the entire internship system because the entire system of internships is you need to gain experience in order to in order to get that first job. You need you need to be able to have some skill set. You need to be able to have out things out there on your resume. And yet for a lot of people, they can't just work for free. They can't just go out and dedicate their time to that. They have to support themselves. They have to make money to pay for books. They have to make money to pay for rent and to make a system this way that only caters to those people that have enough ability to work for free is not a good enough system. And more teams, leagues, and sports organizations need to step up and say, we are going to pay all of our interns and this is going to be an equitable system for everybody. And that's my little rant. Destiny, I saw you, uh, you perked up a little bit there. What do you think? Yeah, so in my internship with the Blue Jackets, it was actually an unpaid internship. And I realized that I was lucky to be able to be in a position where I could take that. But I was also, I worked two jobs. So I had my internship with the Blue Jackets, and I also worked as a barista at Starbucks, on top of having a full course load, and on top of having a leadership position within my fraternity. So I was expected to do all these things at once, and it took a lot to try and balance all of it. And sometimes I didn't do well, but someone shouldn't be expected to carry that much of a burden in order to try and get into the sports industry because they're like the people next to me, they had work in this one job because they were perfectly fine. They had parents helping them pay for things or um, like just different, a different support system than I had. And I think that someone who doesn't necessarily have that support system or even doesn't even have the support system that I did should still have that opportunity to be within those organizations because they're going to bring in a whole new perspective that holds a lot of wealth and important information for these organizations because they're a demographic that they're still going to want to try to bring in. 
It's so important. It's a rant that I've had so many times. I just think the system is broken in so many ways. And the power is there for the organizations to make this level of change today. Like they could just make that happen right away and say, and I believe the NBA does this actually. They tell all their teams that any internships you have to pay. And so I I believe that some teams and leagues are stepping up in that regard. And I may be wrong on that quote, but I believe that's the case. And that's good. That's progress. But we need to get that just a universal thing because experience, gaining experience shouldn't be prohibitive. It should be available to anybody. Um, Destiny, I want to come back to you. I think allyship is a really interesting and important topic. When Barack Obama was running for president, you heard the term coalition a lot, right? This idea of the Obama coalition. And basically, he unified people. He brought people across ideologies and ages and geographics and demographics, and people came together in support. And they, he, he united people. And that's awesome and something I've looked back on and thought a lot about through my career. I'm not qualified to, nor would I ever speak about the minority experience. I'm a 45-year-old white male, right? So I'm not coming at it from that perspective, but I can talk about allyship. I know many people that are afraid to say the wrong thing, so they say nothing. How do we get past that? Because that is a fear for a lot of people, that they're, they're not sure how to be involved and be productive for fear of stepping wrong. Like, how do we embrace and build that coalition rather than have people kind of kind of quieted by their own fear. Yeah, I think it takes patience on both sides. I think it takes, um, from those who are trying to be allies, you have to be willing to learn and be willing to listen because again, you're wanting, you're, you're wanting to learn how to do things correctly in a way. Um, and from those who are wanting people to be allies, we have to be willing to teach because they're not like people aren't going to automatically know like, Oh, this is what I should do. This is how I should speak. It's a learning process for everybody. Um, And I think that people are really quick to find fault in things, especially now. Um, But we definitely have common foundations. Like no one or almost no one is going to come on and say, yeah, I think racism is fine. It's perfectly fine that that exists. Like there are key fundamental things that we can all agree with. And I think building building off of those, main things that we agree with um, will lead to a lot more of a unified movement forward. Like, of course, in the details, there may be disagreements, but if we build off of the foundation and say, okay, this is what we agree on, what's the next step? That's where we can start to have some actual process, progress. Alex, what do you think? How do we continue to build a coalition of people working towards the same goal uh, from across all different races, creeds, and cultures? I think it's uh, kind of what I said earlier is like looking at your circle. Like, I think I was fortunate to grow up in a diverse city like Houston, Texas. And like in my debate team, you know, we were really diverse. And it was it was kind of my like really first like glance of like black culture. You know, um, my my old debate coach, she was from Mississippi and she's like been a second mother to me. And, and she's kind of been like my mentor. And I, I reach out like and I try to get a better understanding and and ask these same questions like how can i be an ally how can i do this right because i believe you know there's a there's a time and a place for everything and there's a right way to do it and so it's important to know when to speak when to listen because i think that's one of like the biggest issues right now is a lot of people want to speak for other people but they never ask them for the to talk for them and i think you see this at like some of these protests become uh that kind of get out of control it's not usually the ones that are trying to fight this fight and, and it's because we got to listen. We got to understand what, what, what this fight is for and try to 
and, and try to be a platform for those voices that are that are not heard right now. Yeah, I, I can't agree more. You know, the listening skill is one that we all need to get better at. And I think sometimes that rush to post things on social media or have a quick opinion or have some sort of a hot take puts you immediately into a corner. It's like, just relax for a second and listen rather than have to fire out some fresh opinion or some fresh thought process or whatever, you know, try to actually listen before you speak. Something everybody needs to work on uh, across all, all groups. The Work in Sports podcast moving forward is brought to you by Gladiators. And I am lucky right now because I'm joined by the founder of Gladiators. It is Cecilia Towns. Hi, Cecilia. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? I am great. Can you tell us a little bit more about Gladiators? Tell, let the audience know what you guys are up to and what got you started. Yeah, yeah. So I was a student athlete, played tennis in college and went on to practice law. And in 2012, I decided that I wanted to start a blog to really just discuss women in sports. Um, I just wanted to cover the topics that people weren't really talking about. And over time, we developed an audience and we have grown pretty immensely. Um, our goal is to inspire, empower, and connect women in sports. And the way we do that is, you know, we continue to provide content on the blog, but we also provide events like our Gladiator Summit and Mixers. Um, we provide a mentorship program and we provide workshops for student athletes and women who work in the sports industry. Wow, what a wonderful mission and purpose you have there. So tell the audience how they can learn more about your upcoming events and all the different things you have going on at Gladiators. Yes, yeah, so please visit us at gladiators.com. We're also, of course, on social media and Instagram. We're at Gladiators on Twitter. We are, we are, which just an R, Gladiators. We're also on Facebook. Um, we really want you guys to check us out. We're launching the Gladiators Tribe, um, which is gonna really provide some amazing benefits, opportunities to connect with C-suite executives in sports, um, our version of TED Talks, um, um, access to an even bolder mentorship program and an online platform just for women in sports. So stay tuned. All this information and support is so great to have. What a great community you started there. Thank you so much for telling us more about it. Thanks, Brian. Alex, we'll come back to you. You were part of the field program, as we discussed about, and, uh, and Destiny, I want you to handle this question too. Now you're working with the El Paso Chihuahuas. Uh, congratulations for that. How do you take what you learned as part of a program like that and bring it back to your work environment? How do you allow those skills and that diversity training and all the different things you are able to be a part of? And as a young employee, especially in this time period where things are broken up and people are working from home and whatever else, but how do you come back and be a positive influence for the culture of a team like you're working for now with the Chihuahuas? I think one thing um, out of all the things I gained from it, and I gained a lot from the field program. One of the biggest things I gained was confidence. You know, it was confidence that I had a group that would back me up and that would tell me when I'm wrong and when I'm right. And that's helped me a lot with the Chihuahuas. Like there was one point where I, I did ask to have a conversation with our GM and president about what we were doing because uh, we, we made that statement and I was like, I won't, I would be a hypocrite if I didn't talk to my own organization and see what we're going to do and talk about it. And you know what? It, <laughs> I was nervous as heck when I was in that call, but, you know, I was really glad I did. And it was a really re fruitful conversation and, and one that we need to, you know, have again and move forward. And with this program, I mean, it, it's also helped me, you know, 
create some new ideas and how to do it right. You know, like one thing that I've learned more than ever and that I already kind of got a taste of when I was the vice president at Mississippi College was, you know, communication with the community that you're serving and how important that is to set up these connections, not only just to make a sale, but but it's it's more than that. Because the reason why I did sales was because I feel like I'm doing a service, you know? I'm helping some of these businesses and organizations grow in different ways. And like one of the ways I'm trying to do it is like, I'm trying to work on a Deaf Awareness Night and a Juneteenth Night. And like with the field program, I jotted, I thought about doing a Juneteenth Night back in March. So it was before this. And so that helped me, you know, be, uh, proactive instead of reactive and start to have these conversations with different community leaders and i was at a local juneteenth uh event in el paso and i told like one of the the pastors there like hey i'm working on this we started back in march and he thought that was a he thought that was a huge deal we were able to start have this conversation before all of this happened and that's so important like i think a lot of these companies that were that were proactive are 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 saying i told you so to a lot of these other companies that are trying to respond yeah it's so true Destiny, but what about you? How do you bring what you learned as part of that program and the community that you became a part of and bring it to your work experience too and, and communicate that out to others who, who weren't a part of it and maybe not, might not have as wide a view? Um, one thing that I really brought out of that um, program was I don't necessarily have to like mute any of my identities. I can come into the space as like exactly who I am because that's what being inclusive means within an organization. It means like you can allow people to come in fully who they are and that's exactly what you want. Um, and also with what Alex touched upon, going, I'm planning on going into sports philanthropy. So connection with the community is imperative. Like all of our work is community based. And if you don't connect with the people that you're trying to serve, you don't know what they actually need. So knowing how to make those connections and listen to people and understand, like, this is how best I can help you um, is pretty much central to what my job is going to be. So learning how to listen to other people and understand that, like, their background is different and what they've experienced is different. And that attributes to what they believe in and who they are as a person. And this is why this is what they need. That, um, I think, has helped me learn exactly where I need to go within my career. We'll finish up with this. You guys are amazing. And thank you so much for this conversation. I want you each, each to weigh in on this. Destiny, we'll start back with you. Um, the field program is great. It's amazing. It's great that it brought all of you guys together, guys and gals together and formed this community and taught you so much and brought brought it all out to the world. But it's a week-long program, right? It's a pretty short-term program. This problem of representation and social justice and equality in the sports industry in particular is is a big one, and it takes more than a week's worth of work. What do we need to do to help diversity in the sports industry? What's our game plan? What is our action item? What are our action items? What do we do now to continue this action and progress moving forward? Destiny, let's start with you. I think people within the sports industry. Um, kind of be, need, to, need to be willing to open up their networks. There are all kinds of young professionals of all backgrounds who would love to talk to these people and help um, learn what their jobs are, what their roles within their organizations are, what things they love about their job, and how they got there. Because how they got into that position can be crucial to getting the next person in. Um, basically, I think that people within these organizations kind of need to hold, hold the door open and let these new people come in and learn and uh, just be around them and kind of absorb all of the wealth of information that they have. 
So true. Alex, what about you? What do you think we need to do? What should be our action plan as we try to control, try to improve diversity in the sports industry? I think one thing is that if you, if you want to make a change and make a choice, you need to make sure it's for yourself and not for people around you, if that makes sense. Like, I think a lot of these companies and a lot of these teams are, are starting to like to feel this pressure to do it. But I think really like the only person that can make them change is themselves and they have to seek a different perspective and look and see if the changes they're going to make are going to be efficient and what their problem, they need someone to help them see what their problems are. Because, you know, I like to think I'm the coolest person in the world, but I need someone else to keep me human, you know, humble. And I think that's the way it is for all these companies. You got to be your biggest fan, but you got to be able to have some haters to help you put you in your place at sometimes. Yeah. And I'll add too. I think that the teams, leagues and organizations and everybody in the sports industry when they have these meetings, they need to take all the accountants out of the room and they need to take all the revenue people out of the room and they need to focus on what's right and not be so concerned what does this track to the bottom line because not every decision an organization makes has to be profitable. And so sometimes doing outreach programs, doing educational programs, doing everything they can to change their hiring practices and to become more of an open coalition as we talked about earlier, is so much more important. That's the soul of an organization. And we talk about community service that way and customer and community relations that way is like, that's the heartbeat of an organization. I think the hiring process is too. You know, we talk about community relations and I, I interviewed someone who's literally said that they said that community relations is the soul of an organization. And I love that quote. It's great. But I think when you really break it down, I think hiring is, is, I think that's how you actually get the diversity and the inclusion and the real heartbeat of your organization is by bringing in all types of people from different worlds and perspectives so that you can have a unique work experience. And I think sometimes it can't be about the bottom line. It's got to be about doing what's right and just being more open to all those opportunities. All right, guys, I've taken enough of your time. This is a really inspiring conversation. Thank you so much for jumping on. Destiny and Alex, uh, you are both an inspiration to me. And uh, I thank you both for being a part of this. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for having us. Thank you to Destiny and Alex for joining me on part two of the Moving Forward series. I found their points to be so meaningful and impactful and honest and vulnerable. And I just thank them for being a part of this project. We should all listen, support, self-reflect, and find ways we can all change to be better as allies. I think that's the roadmap that they've provided for us that we can all follow. Stay tuned again. We'll release episode three next Wednesday. Thank you for listening, everyone. Remember to make a plan to vote this year. It is extremely important and to wear a mask wherever you go.